0: You're listening to the Crossroads Grace Podcast, a podcast of Crossroads Grace Community Church. To learn more about our gathering times and ways you can get involved, check out our website at crossroadsgrace.org. In years past, this is the time of year where all of us, okay, now, don't look at somebody if they're more than it than you, okay? This is when all of us scramble for last-minute presents, okay? No elbows, no nothing, all right? What we do is we leverage that Amazon Prime membership that we pay for to the hilt, don't we? Because we want to see how many packages we can get to the front door on Christmas Eve so no one knows that we forgot. You know, that's what we're trying to do. It's Christmas gift pr- procrastination, it is a true art form, okay? It should be an Olympic sport right next to curling. I mean, this is important stuff that's happening, right? But, but since everything right now is jammed up in San Francisco Harbor tighter than Santa's belly and his pants, okay, right, it ain't gonna happen. Last minute is just not gonna work this year. It's gonna be a bunch of gift bags under the trees with IOUs and printouts of pictures of things you wanted to buy them. Hello, you know what I'm talking about? We'll probably do that too, it's all right, you know? But what we've been saying over these past few weeks is that maybe this year we try not to freak out as much. Like, what if we just did that? And maybe we, what if we look at this year and Christmas completely different? And we've been asking ourselves, what if we chose to see Christmas as more than just a laundry list of things we bought and things we got? Like, what if we thought of it differently? Instead, what if we focused on the most important things that bring us the most joy? Which is why we've kind of said every single week this one simple idea, That simple things bring us the most joy. Simple things bring us the most joy because when you really stop and think about it, that's true. The things that we cherish the most, that we remember the most, they're simple. The memories that we have, they're not complex, they're simple, simple memories. I was talking with a friend of mine just this week and she was wrestling with some cancer treatment stuff but she remembered back to Thanksgiving and just with her daughters in the kitchen just singing and being able to cook together. That's simple, that's not complex, that's simple. And the same thing about the simple idea is the same with Jesus. When we keep things simple with him, we'll follow him more easily because our relationship is uncomplicated. And so we just want that idea. And to see how this simple Christmas plays out, we're using the Christmas story. And so we're looking at the Christmas story and we're looking at the simple truths that are found within the story, but then we're also looking at the simple obedience of the people that were in the story. And so week one, we looked at the life of Mary and how despite being given, let's just face it, a scary proposition by God to be able to be the mother of the Son of God, like, she, she, instead of choosing fear, she chose the favor of God. She says, I want favor, I don't want fear. Because ultimately, we, told, we, said our, we said that fear keeps us from God's favor. Fear keeps us from God's favor. But when we keep things simple and we follow God's direction, we receive his favor, which is always better, it's a better outcome than when we follow fear. Fear is just brutal, brutal, brutal. But then week two, last week, we talked about Joseph's life. We looked at what God was actually directing him to do and what he wanted him to follow, because he asked Joseph, he says, hey, I want you to stay by Mary, despite the ridicule, despite the shame that's gonna come with it, because she's an unwed mother right now. And, and also, oh, by the way, you're gonna be the earthly father to Jesus, you know, side note, right? That's what was in front of Joseph. It was a testing of Joseph's faith in the plan that God had set out before him. That's what was happening, which is why when Joseph chose to follow God, we said that this is true, that faith is trusting what God says to do even when it doesn't make sense to anyone else. Like, that's what faith is. Nothing about what God asked Joseph to do made any sense. Joseph did not, anybody around him was not telling him, yeah, you should do this, no. But Joseph didn't care about what any other, everybody else said. Then he didn't care about any of that, what he cared about is what God was asking him to do and what God thought. And so often we complicate what God is asking us to do, but if we simply trust what he says, hey, this is best for you, then we're gonna grow in our love of him and we're also gonna grow in our life to be a better representation to people around us about what Jesus says to do. So, so today we come to part of a story, in the, in part of the Christmas story, that a lot of us kind of brush past, we move past, but I really think it's kind of important for us to consider. And and so to read Luke chapter 2, part of Luke chapter 2, I'm going to invite to the stage somebody who's very special to me. Uh, my son, Easton, is going to come and read Luke chapter 2. So Easton, would you come on out, my brother? Come on out, buddy. There you go, bud. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was the governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married with him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there's no guest room available for them. Yes, way to go, buddy, way to go. Good job, Good job baby. <laughs> That's my boy, oh, that's my boy. So proud of him, so proud of him. But hey, for a, ma- for a moment here, let's imagine what Easton just read. And let's do this, let's, let's think about it, what Mary and Joseph's pregnancy might be like if it was played out today. Okay so let's just this for a second. So it's it's uh, it's 39 weeks right? She's 39 weeks pregnant at this point. By now Mary is completely done with being pregnant. All right? Her ankles are cankles. Hello, right? Ankles are cankles. The yellow glow of pregnancy has degraded to a gray haze. Right? The thought of having to waddle to the bathroom one more time in the middle of the night is enough to make her go nuts, right, okay? And if this kid re- elbows her in the ribs one more time, she's gonna lose it, people. She's over the pregnancy. So she has nested. She's cleaned that house eight times, prepped the baby's room. It looks so perfect right now. She tried out the car seat to make sure it works, and of course, she has the go bag ready to go in a moment's notice to get to the hospital. Now, Joseph, on the other hand, he has checked the GPS, has four alternate routes to the hospital, all confirmed by ways depending on the flow of traffic, right? He has, he has changed the oil in his car, hasn't let that gas tank get below seven-eighths full for the past month or so. <laughs> grandparents, oh, they're pumped, man. They are pumped, but they respect Mary and Joseph. They're like, we want to give you your space. They just want to be grandparents. That's all it is. And so they're going to let them go through this moment themselves, right? That's kind of what's happening. Now, now, Mary, in her mind, she has the perfect plan played out for how it's going to work, just like clockwork. She will arrive at the hospital with plenty of time. Um, she will have a decaf cup of coffee while she gets an epidural. It's gonna be great. Um, <laughs> she'll then watch reruns of Full House while Joseph rubs her feet. That's what's gonna happen. She will be pleasantly surprised when the nurse comes in after about 30 minutes to say, sweetheart, it's time to push. Then, then the doctor arrives and they'll be unrest, uh, unrushed. They'll be well-rested. They'll be completely attentive to her and her alone. Uh, and, and then as the nurses come in, uh, all of a sudden they're gonna buzz around the doctor encircling them like a Disney princess and just sing songs, it's just what's gonna happen. Mary will sit up, she will, uh, she'll sit up in bed, she'll sneeze once and out will come the baby, healthy and happy, <laughs> everything will go good. Joseph will, will calmly cut the umbilical cord and then the new family of three will just take a selfie with the doctor as Mary's makeup is on point the whole time, right? Exactly how it works, isn't that how it worked for y'all? Ha ha ha, not at all. Okay. But for Mary and Joseph, that wasn't even close to what happened. Okay, so so the truth is if we stay with this modernization of how this whole thing went down, it really went something like this. Somehow Joseph convinces Mary, 39 weeks pregnant, to go on a work trip with him to Salinas, California, 80 miles away. Okay. <laughs> Joseph decides to beat traffic, wants to go the back roads, and so they ride in a beat-up Jeep Cherokee with no shocks all the way there. Okay? There is no go bag, they nearly run out of gas, and on the top of that, all the bumps cause Mary to go into preterm labor. And then when they get to the hospital at Salinas, they don't take their insurance, and somehow the hospital is full. Never heard of that ever happening, but COVID is what it is, it's a new thing. I don't know, right, it just happens, okay? So they end up giving birth in the back of that Jeep Cherokee in the parking lot of the VCA All Pets Animal Hospital in Salinas. Yeah, I did some research, it exists. Yeah, okay, that's where it happens. So this means that, that as Mary is giving birth, there is no decaf coffee, there is no full house, there is no foot rubs, there is just the barking of dogs at the clinic right near as they howl in unison as this child comes into existence. Guys, Mary is exhausted, there is no room service, instead Joseph runs to Taqueria El Rey, which does exist, and grabs some tacos, brings them back, they eat them in the hatchback of that car after she gives birth. Baby's born in obscurity, in the middle of nowhere, and wouldn't you know it, the plan that Mary had falls apart on the floorboards of a beat-up, rusty old Jeep Cherokee. Now, as crazy straws as that sound and how far-fetched that sound, not that far off, guys. (laughs) Not that far off. Mary's plan for how Jesus was gonna come into the world was not exactly how it all happened. Like, no mother, whether you're giving birth to the Son of God or not, wants to have give birth in Salinas, let alone Bethlehem in a cave. Okay, that's not how you draw it up. It's not how you think it's gonna work. But let me, so let me just ask you a question today. Maybe even ask me a question. Where have you felt like your life has not gone according to plan? Like, where has your spreadsheet of life and God's spreadsheet of life just not be, have, have not connected in the cloud somehow. Like it just missed and, and he doesn't really know what's happening. Where, where does that differ from how you thought your life was gonna look like? Are the holidays coming up and when they come up do they just remind you that you have this deep desire to be married and it hasn't happened yet? Is there an empty place setting at your dining room table from somebody that passed away this year? Is, um, is your dream job still in your mind as a dream? Has the baby that you've been longing for and praying about still not happened? Where have your plans in your life not matched up with what you were hoping would happen? Because the plans that we laid out in our life usually are so vivid, aren't they? They're so real that when it doesn't happen exactly how we want it to, it's crushing. So how do we wrestle with that? Well, let's let's first just have some real talk for a second. Before I get too far, let's just have some real talk. First of all, sometimes, not all the time, sometimes when our plans don't go the way that we want them to, we need to look in the mirror, okay? So many times we shake our fist at God, right? But we fail to realize that we have caused so much of the pain in our life and derailed our own plans. Part of maturing is taking responsibility for our mistakes and owning up to where we failed. I, I honestly think that our world has become allergic to that today. We're allergic because it's everyone else's fault. Don't, don't believe me? Ask any teacher or any administrator in this room right now. You are gonna hear amens all over the place here in just a second. Everybody else's fault? Get an amen from anybody about that? All right, all right, all right. Because the reason is, is we don't wanna be wrong. So we gotta have a scapegoat. We don't take responsibility because responsibility requires culpability, and that means that we have to take ownership for whatever we did. Uh, Honestly, if, if you're looking, let me say this. If you're looking to stand out in this world to your teachers, to your boss, to your coworkers, to your spouse, to yourself, check this out. Here's how you do it. Take responsibility. Take responsibility. Admit you're wrong. Don't blame everybody else. Admit that you're wrong, you screwed up, part of the reason you're not in the plan that you should be is because of you, and then you can heal and you can grow, you can mature and you can move on. Do it. So, so listen, I want you to think about this. A mistake may have altered your life plans, but it doesn't have to end be the end of your life. doesn't. God works through some really messy plans, and he does some amazing things through messy people. We're going to talk a little bit about that in a few moments, but but we have to stop swimming in the denial pool and admit that we're to blame for a lot of our derailed life plans, not God. Okay, so let's just own that for what it is. But then there's sometimes that our plans and God's plans don't match up. Not because we've sinned or done anything wrong, but check it out, because God has just a different plan for us. That, that's what happened with Mary and Joseph. It really did. They, they may not have seen their life playing out the way that it was playing out, playing out, but you, you know who did? God, God did. God was not surprised by any of this. In fact, he had been orchestrating this very day for thousands of years. And I wanna show us some of that today, just a little bit today. So I wanna look at two examples today that we just read, that Easton just read to us just a minute ago. And and here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna warn you, again, I'm in a bunch of different places. I've told you this twice now. A bunch of different places. Grab your app. I'd love for you to kind of look at it. we help you stay, stay along. You'll be able to read it with me. That's fine, but just as a heads up. But first off, I want to look at Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, and I want to consider how God's plan began playing out long before Mary and Joe ever rode that donkey to Bethlehem. So let's reread those first three verses again, Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So, here we go. First thing I want us to consider is this word right here, is the word census, census. Now, a census is the counting of peoples across the Roman Empire, and it required people to return to the lands of origin. It seems pretty straightforward. I mean, we literally just read it right there in the text. But, did you ever stop and think about where the census came from? See, see the roots of the census can be traced all the way back to Numbers chapter one in the Bible. Numbers chapter one, let me read it to you here. Numbers chapter one, starting verse one. The Lord spoke to Moses in the tent of meeting in the desert of Sinai on the first day of the second month of the second year after the Israelites came out of Egypt. Very specific, I love that. He said, take a census of the whole Israelite community by their clans and families, listing every man by name one by one. So, So check this out. The book of Numbers was dated back to 1428 B.C., but did you know that the Roman census began in 6 BC? That is 1,426 years before Rome implemented the census that God put it in place. Which means that God had been orchestrating his, his plan through the smallest of details all the way down to the census that started 1,400, 1400 years before we ever read, read the scripture. That in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman World. 1400 years before it ever happened. Guys, God is working and His plan is perfect. That's just one, though. That's just one. So here's another one. How about this one? Look in verse 4 of chapter 2. Luke 2, verse 4. It says, So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. Now, you're probably like, it seems like a lot of David. Like, what in the world is going on? What's all this David stuff going on? Well, Here's the deal. Why does it matter that Jesus was born in the line of David? If you read Matthew chapter one, you're going to see this big long line, this like this all the people begot, 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 all the way down to Jesus. Why does that matter? Well, here's it matter. Because Jesus was to be born in the line of David, and David was the king of Israel back in ten ten to nine seventy BC. That's when he ruled. But what makes that so special? Who cares? What does this matter? Well, to understand, you're gonna to have to allow me to pull back the curtain of history just a little bit further to understand this because there is such nuance to this that we often don't take into consideration to take time to consider. And, and here's the thing. I love how God kind of orchestrates things sometimes, even like inspiration for me and messages because I was working out the other day and I was wrestling with this, this section of this message, like how is it gonna to come together? And sure enough, I listened to Matt Chandler from Village Church in Dallas, Texas, and he gave like this kinda of cool nudge for me. And I was like, it was like a God wink. I was like, all right, that's cool, God, thank you for that, you know? And so God's working his plan, even in the smallest of ways, even today. So that's just kinda of neat. So, but, but let's get back to this. First off, God loves his people. God loves you, God loves me in so many amazing ways. But one way that is so under-noted in our lives is through what's called covenants. Covenants, now you're like, oh my gosh, what's a covenant? Well listen, a covenant is this. Here's what a covenant is. A covenant is a chosen relationship or partnership in which two parties make a binding promise to each other and work together to reach a common goal. Fancy dictionary definition. But when we apply it to our relationship with God, what it means is that it's a promise that God makes between us to accomplish a common goal between him and us. That's what this covenant really is. And there's several different types of covenants in the Bible, really five or six that are the main framework for the entire Bible. And so what I want to do is I want to talk today about the broader story of God, this broader plan of God, and I want to connect some dots that you might never have connected before up until today. Because what I really want you to do is see how this overarching plan has been playing out for so long. And so you're going to have to give me permission to do something. I'm going to talk about these covenants. You're going to probably at some point say, what does all this mean? Hang tight. It's going to come back, okay? I want you to just listen and hang out with me. We got this, right? We with me? Yeah. With me? Okay, you with me? Okay, online I could tell, right? So here's the deal. Here's the first part of the story that I want us to understand. The first covenant that we'll look at is called the Adamic Covenant. And you'll notice there's a common thread. Usually the first part is going to give you the key of where it came from. Now, the first covenant was made between Adam and Eve. Way back, Genesis 1 through 3, God makes the heavens and the earth, creates an aardvark. That was cool. Like, he creates all the stuff in a creation, but he saves the very best for last in man and woman. And in man and woman, in Adam and Eve, it says that he impressed his image on us, that we are image bearers of God himself. God designed us in that moment to have perfect covenant relationship with him that we were supposed to have a great, perfect relationship with him. But sin jacked the whole thing up, screwed everything up. And so from that point forward, God had to make new promises with a fallen man because the Edemic Covenant broke, which leads us to the second covenant, which is called the Noahic Covenant, the Noahic Covenant. Now, you, you may have grown up in church. You might have never set foot in church before, but you probably have heard the story of Noah's Ark. Again, even if you've never grown up in church, you probably have heard this before, because it's about this massive boat that was commissioned by God to be built by this dude named Noah. He was to bring two animals of every kind onto the boat and anyone else that would listen to him about this impending flood that God was about to send. And the reason God was sending this was because the people had become so wicked that he wanted to do a Control-Alt-Delete, wanted to restart the whole thing again, He's gonna use the animals on that ark and anyone else that was on there with him of the people, but only Noah's family got on the ark. So God sends the the rains. He did what he promised he would do, 40 days, 40 nights, floods the entire earth, and and everything was on it. Only Noah, his family, and the animals that were on there survived, and after one year, that ark came to rest at a place called Mount Ararat. And and, and when when it hits Mount Ararat, the door opens and they walk out on dry land. And it was shortly after that, that they walked on a dry land that God gave Noah a covenant, a promise that he was gonna make between Noah and the world. We read about it in Genesis chapter nine. And it said, this is, in God said, he's speaking to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant I'm making between me and you and every living creature with you, a covenant for all generations to come. I've set my rainbow in the clouds and it will be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rain, a rain The rainbow appears in the clouds. I will remember my covenant between me and you and all living creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. So God promises, sets a covenant in place that He would never wipe out the world again by a flood. And every time we see a rainbow in the sky, it's a symbol of that covenant. But, but that's, that's just one example of the covenant. So that's the Noahic Covenant. So Abra, Ab, uh, the uh, Adamic Covenant, Noah, Noahic Covenant. And then the third covenant here is this one. It's called the Abrahamic Covenant. Abrahamic Covenant. Now, Abraham, man, he's a super cool guy. Like, we would love talking about him. But the first time we meet Abraham, his name was actually Abram in Genesis 11. Guy got a whole new name. God just hooked him up with a brand new name. But, but shortly after that, we're introduced to Abram. God speaks to him. And he gives him this, the beginnings of a massive covenant that was going to do several different things. But before I even tell you what it is, I think you should realize something really interesting about Abram, that when God called him and started to make all these covenants with him, Abram didn't know God. Yeah, he came from a polytheistic, which means they worship multiple gods in a place called Mesopotamia, and his mom and dad worship idols. That's what they were. That's not exactly how you'd think God would dial up the father of the nation of Israel, which he's gonna become in a second. But but check out what God says to Abram. This this covenant's found in Genesis 12, 15, and 17, but the essence of the covenant you can see in Genesis 12, verses one through three. And there we get to read. It says, the Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people, your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you I'll make your name great and you will be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you i will curse and all the people on earth will be blessed through you. So God makes a promise, a covenant with Abraham about land, about offspring and about this universal blessing God wants to put on his life. He's going to make him the father of many nations that there'll be so many descendants of his, it will outlast, the, the, the sand on the seashore will be the equivalent But but I just have to point out that this promise was made to Abraham while he was an idol worshiper and didn't know God. Yet that was God's plan. And I'm telling you when I read that and understand that, that gives me so much hope, so much hope that God's plan can involve a jacked up, messed up dude like me. That we are never too far that we're never too far gone, that we're not damaged goods, that we still can be used by God. His plan is perfect, even if it doesn't make sense to anybody else. If he says you're worthy, then you're worth it. Now, we're not even done yet. We're not even done yet, right? We're not done with God's promises because the next covenant that's called is this one. The next covenant that you read about is called the Mosaic Covenant. The Mosaic Covenant. And this covenant was made with Moses. And Moses, amazing guy. He was a man that God tasked to lead the people of Egypt, or Israel, out of Egypt after they had been bonded, they'd been slaves for over 400 years. So Moses led them out of the grip of Pharaoh, across the Red Sea, through the wilderness, and God gave Moses the law that the people were supposed to live by. And it was during this time that God shared with the law that he also shared a covenant that he was gonna make, a promise that he was gonna make between Moses and the people. And it's found in Exodus chapter 19. And there we read, Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord God called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant that out of all nations you will be my treasured possession, although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words to speak to the Israelites, he says to Moses. And it is profound, guys, when you hear this, it is profound that God would call these people treasured possessions, I tell you that, because they were jacked up. Time and time again, they would fall away from him, they would doubt him, they would go against him, they would create idols in his place, they'd sin against him, but yet God still loves them. He honors the covenant with them, even though they stray all the time. Why? Because God's plan is always perfect. That leads us to this last covenant, which is known as the Davidic covenant. Back to this guy, the Davidic covenant. David is a major figure in the Bible, might arguably be the second most popular guy in the entire Bible next to Jesus. And if you're familiar with your Bible, or again, if you've never heard of, read the Bible before, you might have heard of David. He's the one that killed that super tall dude, you know, named Goliath. Yeah, he killed him, he's a famous warrior, became a mighty king. He led Israel faithfully over all their enemies. He designed the temple of God, like super cool guy. But honestly, it never made sense for David to be able to do any of those things, like none of them. Because culturally, he should have never been anywhere close to any of that power and influence never wear clothes. The reason was he was the youngest of seven brothers, which meant that he was so far down the food chain in his family, it wasn't even funny. Yet God, God's plan picked him out of obscurity of his father, Jesse, of Jesse's house, and placed him smack dab into the middle of God's plan. Why? Because it says, because of David's heart. Acts chapter 13, verse 22, describing it says, God says, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own, What? My own heart, he says. And because God uses the unexpected to do amazing things, and because David's heart beat for him, God places his hand of favor on him, on David, and establishes this very covenant with him in 2 Samuel chapter seven. It says, your house, speaking of David, and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. God's covenant would stretch from David's sons and even beyond that, because God was establishing a kingdom, but it wasn't limited to just the here and now. Because this wasn't about like an earthly throne, he was speaking about an eternal throne as well. A throne meant for one king, the king of kings and lord of lords, Jesus Christ. But but before we get more to that, let me just consider something. Through all of these covenants that we see, God is faithful, and he's sovereign over all things. God kept his promise to to the Noahic covenant. He's never flooded the earth ever again. God has kept his Abrahamic covenant. He has blessed the land of Abraham's descendants. He provided the promised land, and he set the people of God apart. God kept his Mosaic covenant because his chosen people did come out of oppression and Egyptian rule. And even to this day, they are God's beloved people. Which is why if God promised, if his promises are true and have never, ever been broken, then when we read the Christmas story, we should be all kinds of fired up and pumped up. Like we should be overwhelmed with how much God has been planning just for this one moment in time. Which is why when we read in Jeremiah 33, where it says, in those days and at that time, I will make a righteous branch, capital B, Jesus branch, sprout from David's line, he will do what is just and right in the land. That means that we read in Isaiah chapter nine, where it says, for to us a child is born, for to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. And we read all of that in the Old Testament. And then finally, when we get to Luke chapter two, our minds go crazy when it says, so Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth to Galilee, to the Bethlehem, to the town of David because he belonged to the line of David. Like all of this should just scream to us that what God says will come true that his plan is being perfectly orchestrated for centuries so that when the set time had fully come, as Paul says in Galatians 4, Jesus would be ushered onto the stage of history exactly when God had planned it to happen. So God was not surprised at what happened that silent night. He knew it was going to be a different kind of a birth because it was a different kind of a mission altogether. No one thought that the king of the universe would be born in a cave, But God did. The world didn't think that the Savior of the world would would say the things that Jesus did or do the things that Jesus did, but God did. Who would think that the King of kings and Lord of lords would be murdered on a cross and buried in a borrowed tomb? God did. Jesus' entire life was about flipping the script about what everybody thought the Messiah should do and what he should say, but it was all part of God's perfectly, perfectly laid out plan. A plan that started in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve, who God created in his image and wanted a relationship with. A a plan that showed that through Noah, that God loved us so much he wouldn't give up on us. A plan that through Abraham demonstrated that God wanted to bless us more than we could ever even imagine if we just would follow him. A plan through Moses where we see that God wants to save us and keep us close to him. A plan through David that shows us that even though even the unknown can be known and that there's a world that has more than earthly thrones as a part of it. A plan that brought the king of kings and lord of lords from heaven to earth as a baby so that he could know exactly what we go through including being a helpless child. A plan that would see his son die for our sins on an old rugged cross to show the length to which he would go to save you and me. A plan that saw Jesus defeat death and rise from death to be able to show that not even death can hold him down. Guys, a plan that is in motion right now. God's plan is perfect and it will always be perfect. And did you know this? That his perfect plan can be in your life too. That your life is not over if you messed up. Your plan is not better than God's plan. God can and he will use all things for his glory. You are not too far from God. You might feel like Mary right now and your whole world is being turned upside down. You might feel like Joseph and everything inside of you is telling you to run to the hills. You may feel like the 90 miles of bumps that Mary had to take all the way on that donkey to Bethlehem, that's your life. You might be feeling that right now. Listen to me, don't give up. Don't give up. God is still working. He has a plan for you, and his plan is always perfect. Don't give up. Never, ever forget what Jeremiah says in Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. 11. That God's speaking, for I, God, know the what? Plans I have for you, declares the Lord. What are those plans, God? Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Guys, this right here, this right here, this can be your plan, your life, if we'll trust him. And no, it won't be puppies and ponies all the time. No, but I'm telling you, God's plan is perfect every time. So what if, gosh, just what if this Christmas we just chose to keep things simple and just chose God's plan? What if we kept all the stuff that's going on wrong around us because there's so much going on. What if we just kept it in perspective and just trust God's plan more than our plan? (laughs) Maybe we don't have to be in control of it all because God is. And what if we actually were content with celebrating the Savior more than the perfect Christmas, the perfect life that we have in our head? What if we we held loosely the plans that we want we held tightly the plans that God wants to give us? Because the truth is, is this. Following God's plan is always a good plan. Following God's plan is always a good plan. God's plan never fails, but we often fail to follow God's plan. Let's choose this year to just follow him and just just see how our life looks when we do it. I'd love for this year for us to feel the grip that we have on our life just to loosen up a little bit so that God can place in our hands what we need. See, it's amazing how free you feel when you come into life with, with high levels of trust that whatever God has for you is better than anything you could have ever planned on your own. And, and I just need to be honest with you. I, uh, I, I, I needed this reminder more than ever probably this week because I just, you know, plans working perfect, everything's easy, and then wham, just a matter of one conversation, that whole plan just gets completely shattered and you find yourself out of breath and on your knees and think, God, what in the world is going on? I've been there. I'm in the middle of it right now. And it's so easy, again, shake your fist at God, but what if we opened our fists and said, God, whatever your plan is, put it in there. I trust you. I'll just tell you this, that as we think about these covenants just one last time, I think there's a beautiful thread that you need to see in those also. Especially as we think about communion and Jesus. That every one of those covenants is littered with one word, grace. In the Garden of Eden, God said that if they sinned against God, that they deserve death. But God didn't kill them. In fact, he gave them a second chance. He provided them grace. Noah shows us that even though God said, I wanna wipe everything out, all the wickedness around me, instead he gave us grace and a second chance. In Abraham, we see a man that, Time after time was trying to follow God, but time after time, God would give him grace. And You see with him and his son Isaac what happens when, when grace abounds. And Moses, we see how God wants to give us grace and set the captives free. And David, although a man that was after God's own heart, he sinned, but yet God still used him and gave him grace and forgiveness. Guys, God's plan is always about making a way for us. That's why the, the final covenant that we read about is in the New Testament. It's in Jesus. It's called the new covenant. That through Jesus' death, his burial, his resurrection, he's given us a new covenant that through Jesus we can have eternal life forever for those that believe in him. And Christmas begins this new covenant way where Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. For all that believe in me, they have eternal life. That's a plan that I want. See, following God's plan is always a good plan. So my hope and my prayer for you this Christmas is that, is that you'll let go of your plan, let God put his in there, and that we'll trust him in all things. Let's pray and get ourselves ready for communion. Father God, I just pray right now, God, that we all in this room would not make an inventory of the plans that we've been holding on to really tightly an inventory of all the things that we're holding on to that we think are important. I just pray, Father, that you would do a work in this place right now, online, in person. Your spirit would move. And ultimately, that if there's anyone here that doesn't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, that's the place to start. And simply cry out and say, God, I am exhausted from trying to, to live this life on my own. My plans are leading me to places I don't want to be and only leaving me to destruction. And so today I realize there's a new way, there's a new plan, it's called Jesus. So Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. Thank you for defeating death. Thank you for preparing a place for me in heaven and I believe that you are the way, the truth, and the life. I want to know you and I want your plan in my life. God, you tell us if anyone claims Jesus with their mouth, believes in their heart, professes that, and that they're saved. So God, I pray that we would do that now. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for grace. Thank you for second chances. May we remember that now as we hear the words of the song wash over us and we prepare to, to uh, commune in just a moment. Jesus, we love you. We thank you. It's in your beautiful name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us this week on the Crossroads Grace podcast. If you enjoyed this message, please rate us and subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening from. If you are interested in getting involved in our community or want to find out more information, visit us online at crossroadsgrace.org. Thank you for listening to the Crossroads Grace podcast.